able to stand our nation under God individually with his liberty and justice for all. Vice President Carter Oberstone, if I could take roll. Please. Commissioner Walker. Here. Commissioner Benedicto. Present. Commissioner Yanez. Present. Commissioner Byrne. Here. Commissioner Yee is in route. Vice President Carter Overstone, you have a quorum. Also with us tonight, we have Chief Scott from the San Francisco Police Department and Acting Director Sarah Hawkins from the Department of Police Accountability. Sergeant, could you please call the first item? Line item one, weekly officer recognition certificate. Presentation of an officer who has gone above and beyond in the performance of their duties. Sergeant Kevin Quadro, star number 1253 from the robbery unit. Good evening, Commissioners, Chief Scott, and Director Hawkins. I am Captain Marcota of the Major Crimes Unit, and I'm honored to be here tonight to present to you Kevin, Sergeant Kevin Quadro, Quadro of the robbery detail. Sergeant Quadro is an 11-year veteran of the San Francisco Police Department, having joined the department in 2012. Sergeant Quadro is the grandson of retired SFPD Sergeant Elmer Quadro, with whom Sergeant Quadro shares the same star number, number 1253. Sergeant Quadro began his, began his career at Tenderloin Station and then was assigned to the mid-market footbeat. Sergeant Quadro was promoted to sergeant in 2018 and was assigned to patrol at Mission Station. Sergeant Quadro transferred to the robbery detail and has been an outstanding member of the robbery detail since 2019. Sergeant Quadro is a dedicated, hardworking investigator. The running joke in the robbery de detail is that he spends as much time helping his coworkers on their cases as he spends working on his own cases. While not entirely true, it does show his dedication to helping his colleagues and the residents of San Francisco. Sergeant Quadro has also fostered and maintained numerous relationships with fellow officers throughout the department and is constantly collaborating with fellow members of the department, both in the robbery detail and members assigned to other department units. Sergeant Quadro also works well with law enforcement members from other jurisdictions, as well as successfully collaborating with members of the district attorney's office. These relationships and collaboration are invaluable to the robbery detail, especially when the detail requests assistance from other units and conversely, when those other units request assistance from the robbery detail. Just as important, Sergeant Quadro treats all victims of crimes who he's committed to helping with empathy and compassion. As stated before, Sergeant Quadro is quick to offer his help to every one of his coworkers and share his experience when asked. Sergeant Quadro is respectful and eager to assist when called upon by his supervisors for specific tasks and is always quick to recognize obstacles and potential challenges that his supervisors may need to be made aware of. Sergeant Quadro will always answer the call from his coworkers and supervisors on duty or off duty at, and at any time of day or night. Sergeant Quadro is very well respected and liked throughout the entire San Francisco Police Department and the community. Recently, Sergeant Quadro investigated an incident that occurred in April of this year where a, straight, a street robbery occurred and during the course of the robbery, the victim was shot by one of the suspects. The victim was seriously injured and has endured numerous surgeries. Sergeant Quadro dedicated all of his energies to this case. 
A painstaking five-month-long investigation by Sergeant Quadro led to the identification of the involved suspects and their locations. Multiple arrest warrants and search warrants were obtained. Sergeant Quadro coordinated with outside units and jurisdictions of the, on the execution of the warrants, all of which occurred outside of San Francisco, including one that occurred in a differing state. All suspects involved in this violent robbery were arrested. The arrests and search warrants also led to additional unrelated charges and additional evidence from the incident that will be very useful in the successful prosecution of the suspects. Most importantly, I think as you can see, uh, Sergeant Quadro is a dedicated husband and father to three young children. I present to you, and I'm honored to present to you, Sergeant Kevin Quadro. Sergeant, uh, thank you so much for your service and um, for your uh, incredible work in that one case that was highlighted by Captain Coda. Uh, absolutely no pressure, but I would invite you to say a few words if, um, if you're so moved. Sure. Uh, obviously, I want to thank my, uh, my family for coming out. It means a lot. Um, sorry, it's a little emotional. Next week, uh, I want to remind this commission uh, and the chief and everybody uh, on the meeting of this commission on the 18th marks a six-year anniversary for Officer Elia Lewin-Tankel, who's uh, critically injured. Uh, recently had some tough conversations with Elia. Uh, he's still fighting, so. Uh, I just remind everybody that that's on our minds in the police department, and thank you again for the award. So the San Francisco Police Department recognizes Sergeant Kevin Quadro, star number 1253, of the robbery unit as the Officer of the Week. Thank you, uh, Sergeant Quadro. I, you know, I was prepared to say something else, but I just want to point out that, you know, this moment that was meant to be for you, uh, you took the time to think about Elliot. And that just says a lot about you as a person, you as a man, and I think your family, uh, hopefully they're very proud of you because we are. So thank you very much. Thank you, Chief. Appreciate it. Commissioner Walker. Uh, congratulations. Thank you so much for your service and for being here and for your compassion. Thanks. Um, it says a lot. Uh, about you, about all our officers. That's how that's how you approach your job and how you show up. And I want to thank the family too. Hello there. Thank you for being here with your papa. <laughs> First public speaking. <laughs> yeah, she's probably better than I. Thank you very much thank for you. everything you do. Thank you, Commissioner Yi. Uh, I want to also thank you too, uh, Sergeant uh, Coder for all you've done for us in there in the city and the community. Um, thank the family, that's one of the most important things uh, for the officers that the family's here to join your, uh, uh, I guess, recognition for your certificate. So again, stay safe out there. Thank you again.
For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item one, please approach the podium. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Miller. I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco, and I'm here on behalf of the disabled community and, and many patients that I've had um, in regards to the ongoing ADA violations on city sidewalks. Um, I'm sorry, general public comment will be called next. This is just on line item one, the officer recognition. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm jumping the gun. Well, I want to also thank the recognition for the officer who did an excellent job. And um, I spent many years at San Francisco General helping, helping you guys and gals out when you guys have been in crisis. So again, thank you to him. And I'll come back and share my, my concerns in a minute. Thank you all. Thank you. Any other member would like to make public comment regarding line item one? Please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. <laughs> Line item two, general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under police commission rules of order during public comment, neither police or DPA personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public but may provide a brief response. Alternatively, you may also submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the secretary to the, of the police commission at sfpd.commission at sfgov.org or written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you would like to make public comment, please approach the podium. Good evening, everybody. Hi. Uh, something, a, a reminder, I think it's for everybody. So it's like, uh, there is no possible um, good issue from lies, it just doesn't work. So that's, there'll be a problem. Uh, we have to uh, face the truth at some point because <clears throat> it's gonna come at us no matter what. So it might be very violent if we wait uh, much longer. Uh, the other things I wanna say, I really don't care if people don't like me, it's not the problem. And I think that people don't like me, that's exactly because uh, I'm not supposed to be liked. It's just, they want everybody to be happy, so there is no favoritism. So I, I really don't care, just to let you know. Uh, last thing, I think maybe I said that last time, the key now to solve the problem, because we have to bring solutions, right? Otherwise, is remember to own yourself. You own yourself. So you don't take any crap anymore. That's it, including lies, because it doesn't serve your, you know, your happiness. And that's the way we're going to solve the problems. Because if you pass the word, everybody go is going to own, remember to own his or herself, and you protect yourself, it's your private property. So everybody, after that, it's respect to each other, and it works automatically uh, for the common good. Is that okay? Enjoy. Hello again, I hope this is the appropriate time. My name is Dr. Miller. I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm here on behalf of the disabled community and many patients um, who have disabilities. 
unfortunately, there are many issues going on in San Francisco and it has collateral effects on everyone. What of grave concern to me is the on, are the ongoing ADA violations for passageway on city sidewalks. I understand, I've been working on this for some time, that the police are also involved and there's supposed to be a police response. Unfortunately, it seems to be in disarray and I understand there are priorities which can lead to discrimination, I believe. However, I believe that um, we just don't have a clear response from the police, especially in the lower Polk Street area. Um, and there are lots of reasons, but it's not being attended to whether it's Fleet Week, whether there's a funeral, whether there's uh, you know priorities. I, I believe disabled people deserve the right to be on the sidewalk. And if the police are involved, we need some clarification immediately and assistance. Calls on the, the board remain open for weeks and are closed. Responses when I've been there have been, well, we can't do anything. So there's not any communication coming from the top in terms of what can and can't be done. But my understanding by the ADA and having speak with the Department of Justice is if there is a sidewalk violation, there are no exceptions. 24-7, there needs to be clearance on a sidewalk, four feet for all people. It, it impairs people's passageway. We request police assistance, and the message is not getting relayed, and the responses are not happening. So we'd appreciate whatever I can do to help, to work with you. There are certain streets that are, especially Myrtle between Polk and Larkin, it's just, it's in grave concern. And the last thing I request is in the lower Polk Street area near the hospital, there on Van Ness, there tends to be an increase in criminal activity, and I would really suggest that because it's on the borderline between Northern and, and Tenderline, a police outpost be stationed. I really appreciate that. I appreciate everyone's support, and I'm here in good faith. Thank you for listening. Hello, hi. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, I'd like to use the overhead. Um, I'm here about my son, Aubrey Abercaso, who was murdered. It's not showing up. Okay, could you start my time over then? I didn't see it. I was looking over there. Okay, first, I want to I wanna thank um, Brooke Jenkins, the DA, for finally getting my son's headstone. It's in the ground now. Uh, I have something I can go look at now and stand there and talk to him. And it's a beautiful marble headstone. And I thank Brooke Jenkins for that. And I texted her and told her thank you. She told me at my son's in a, uh, visual, this will be the last year your son go without a headstone. I went 17 years without a headstone because of the the grief and the trauma that I've been going through and the money that I didn't have anymore because it cost a lot um, and didn't want to realize that my son was gone. But again, I thank Brooke Jenkins for what she's done. And I also am still asking when is it going to be uh, another investigator to come and um, investigate our children's uh, murders. Um, uh, to pay tipsters some kind of money to investigate their murders. My son's case is still unsolved. Even though I have this headstone, it's somewhat of a victory, but it's not a closure for me. So, again, I want to thank her for that, for helping a mother out like myself. And I'm still asking for help from everyone here about solving these unsolved homicides and hiring someone to come and pay tipsters some kind of money so that our cases can be solved. Thank you.
For any members of the public that have any information regarding the murder of Aubrey Albercasa, you can call the anonymous 24-7 tip line at 415-575-4444. And there is no further co public comment. Next item, please, Sergeant. Line item three, consent calendar, receive and file action. Family code 6228, incident report release, quarterly report 2023, quarter two. SAPD and DPA's SB 1421 and SB 16 monthly report. Is there Mo a motion? Motion to receive and file. Second. For any members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item three, the consent calendar, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Oberstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone is yes. You have six yeses. Line item four, Chief's report, discussion, weekly crime trends and public safety concerns. Provide an overview of offense, offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussion on planned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Chief Scott. Thank you, Sergeant Youngblood. Uh, good evening, Vice President Carter Overstone, Commissioners, uh, Acting Executive Director <laughs> Sarah. So I'm sorry. Hawkins. It's okay. Hawkins, I know. I'm, I'm reading Henderson. I'm sorry, Sarah. Uh, Executive Director Hawkins. Uh, today's chief report, I will start with uh, just overall crime trends and keep it, uh, keep it very brief. Overall, our violent crime, we are up 3%. In that category, homicides, we're up by two, 42 homicides compared to 40 this time last year. The good news is our, our total gun violence is down by 3%. That's about a difference of five crimes from this, uh, five shootings from this time last year, 162 compared to 167. Property crimes is down overall 6%, and with that, there's a 7% reduction in, in car break-ins, which is um, quite significant. So we, we still have a lot of work to do in that regard, but um, definitely it decreases better than an increase year-to-date. Burglaries are also down year-to-date. In terms of our uh, homicides, our clearance rate is 75%, and in terms of our gun seizures, to help address the firearms-related crimes, we are at 851 year-to-date compared to 814 this time last year. Gun ghost guns, we're starting to catch up with last year. We're at 158 compared to 160 this time last year. <clears throat> a couple of significant incidents for the week. We had a homicide that was reported in the 200 block of Mission. This was on October 7th at 1.57 a.m. overnight. The victim, along with several companions, were confronted by a group of subjects. During the altercation, shots were fired, and the victim was struck at least once. The victim was transported to San Francisco General Zuckerberg and unfortunately passed away from his injuries. This is an active and ongoing investigation, no arrest at this time. Uh, there was one shooting for this reporting period. That occurred at Mission and Cesar Chavez on 10-8-23, or October 8th at 8 p.m. The victim was walking when he heard a gunshot, then felt pain. He was self-transported to the hospital uh, out of the city, and the injuries are believed to be non-life-threatening. We had a, a couple of significant arrests. The first one I want to report is an aggravated assault on an 80-year-old elderly victim. 
This occurred on October 5th at 7.50 a.m. at Bay and Lion Streets in the Northern District. The victim, who was 80 years old, was walking his dog when an unknown subject approached him and hit him in the head with an unknown object. The victim fell and hit his head on the sidewalk and was transported for his injuries. Surveillance footage was located and the identity of the suspect was developed. The suspect was later located that day by Northern officers and was taken into custody without further incident. So I just want to say hats off to uh, the Northern officers for sticking with this and following through and that resulted in an arrest of a very uh, callous suspect. There uh, was a retail theft operation during this reporting period uh, as a part of our retail theft efforts to reduce the, the number of retail thefts in our city. This is a part of our series of what we call the retail blitz operations. And this occurred in the San Francisco Center with the assistance of the Highway, California Highway Patrol, uh, their organized retail crime task force. Teams of uniformed and plainclothes officers um, basically conducted operations at the retail establishments in the San Francisco Center and observed nine individuals from various stores stealing property from inside the shopping mall. These individuals were swiftly arrested and all the stolen property was recovered. So that is a part of an ongoing effort. Um, we will be doing more of these, these types of efforts as we have uh, obtained funding through the Organized Retail Crime Grant, $15.3 million the department was granted. So that will give us uh, more room to add capacity to these types of operations, which is a good thing. Um, there's an armed robbery series, uh, really good arrests here. Between the dates of September 26th and October 4th, three armed commercial robbery, rob robberies occurred in and around the Mission District between midnight and early morning hours. The robberies involved the taking over of businesses, forcing victims to the floor or into back rooms at gunpoint. In two of the robberies, the victims were pistol whipped. The loss in each robbery included currency and merchandise, and in two of the incidents, the businesses' ATMs were also taken during the robberies, ATM machines. During the course of the investigation, it was determined that these robberies were committed by the same suspects. One of the suspects was identified as a 32-year-old San Francisco resident, and the other suspect was identified as a 33-year-old uh, male. On October 4th, several units participated in an operation to take the suspects into custody. Uh, both suspects were taken into custody without incident. Uh, subsequently, a search warrant was, was served at one of the suspects' residence. Evidence was recovered, including two pistols and merchandise stolen in these robberies. Uh, all evidence was seized and both suspects were booked on several counts of robberies, kidnapping, assault with a deadly weapon, false imprisonment, and two counts of use of a firearm during the commission of a felony. So this, these two individuals were uh, very dangerous individuals and good work by our team to take them into custody. One of the robberies also include, included a uh, robbery of a Norms Market. This was at 2200 Bryant. Two victims were inside of the Norms Market when two same two suspects uh, with firearms entered and physically assaulted both victims. The suspect robbed one victim and left with the market safe uh, with contents valued at $9,000. Uh, we did obtain good evidence and uh, the suspects were booked. That was one of the robberies that they were booked on. Uh, also uh, report a really unfortunate incident um, on the 7th of October. This was during this past weekend during Fleet Week. 
Um, there was a rooftop party where a bunch of individuals, a bunch of people were uh, watching the Blue Angels. And unfortunately, one of uh, the ladies that was up there fell to her death into the street. Uh, despite life-saving efforts by the responding emergency personnel, she could succumb to her injuries. So rooftop parties are, are fairly common in San Francisco. Um, my, my public safety message to anybody participating in rooftop parties is, number one, be careful. A lot of the roofs that these parties are being held on uh, aren't permitted to do that. There's not railings or anything to keep people from tumbling off if they get too close to the edge. So please um, take caution if you do participate. Um, our advice and our, our message is we ask you to refrain from participating in a rooftop party when there's, they're not designed for that because they are extremely dangerous and this is not the first time that we've had people falling off roofs either to their death, deaths or serious injuries. So uh, more, more to follow on that in terms of public messaging, particularly around Fleet Week and some of our events where people have these types of parties. Uh, lastly, um, there was a swatting incident, which we've had a number of these. And for the public, swatting calls are basically fake calls, emergency calls that are usually generated by either a computer or, or uh, some type of hacker, and the, the purpose, usually the target of the calls, the purpose is to get police and other emergency uh, responders to show up at the person's location, either house, business, and we've had many of them at schools in our city. So this is an ongoing issue and an ongoing problem. It uses a lot of law enforcement resources and oftentimes uh, fire personnel as well, depending on the nature of the call. And um, Again, the, the public safety messages here is these are very serious incidents, and if we are able to investigate and find out the source of them, uh, it is a serious crime, and um, you will be held accountable. So we are discouraging these types of calls because we've gotten a number of them recently. Um, last thing, I know um, Vice President Carter Overstone, you asked for ongoing reports for our drug market this week, there were 44 arrests. Uh, actually, actually, I don't have the breakdown of the number of sales versus uh, use, so I, I would have to follow up with that. But we also, uh, this week, recovered 2,100 uh, grams of illegal narcotics. But I apologize for not having the breakdown. I will have that next week. And that concludes my report. Chief, thanks oh, for, oh, oh please. One other thing I forgot to mention, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Vice President Carter-Overstone. Significant incident over the weekend, uh, officer-involved shooting at the Chinese consulate on Geary Street. We will be having a town hall. Uh, as of now, we're, we will make this a formal announcement, but we're um, planning to schedule it for next Thursday, but we will make a formal announcement on that if that changes. But we will have a town hall on this incident. Um, I have nothing further to, re to report at this time we did put out a, a statement to the public on that and just the incident, a uh, suspect drove a car into the consulate. Uh, that call got called in as an emergency uh, call with a person armed with a gun actually and officers responded and uh, OIS occurred. So uh, we, will we will make known what we can in the town hall of what's appropriate to, to, to um, release, but there will be a town hall on this incident.
Great. Thanks, Chief. Thanks for the report. Um, do you have any, you said that we've had uh, a recent uptick in swatting calls. Do you have any additional information you can share on that in terms of the, the number um, of, of these calls we've been getting? Uh, not at hand, but I can definitely, I can put something together. These, these, they're happening in the city, but they're also happening regionally and nationally. And uh, we've had a couple of incidents. I know this doesn't specifically answer your question where, for instance, there was a trend of swatting calls at schools. They were bomb threats across the country on the same day at around the same time. Uh, causes, it wreaks havoc, you know, and working with uh, some of our, our partners across the country, every time this has happened, we've been able to determine fairly quickly that it was a swatting call, but it's still, we have to respond, we have to uh, take these things seriously until we really believe that it's a swatting call. So I, I'll see if I can do some research about how many, but there has been an uptick. Great, thank you. Thank you. Um, last week, the president of the Police Officers Association um, came here and spoke at public comment um, regarding the unauthorized release of an officer's name who was facing disciplinary charges. Uh, I, did, I just did want to ask, is the police department investigating the, the data breach? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes. And when did that investigation start? Well... Uh, we started looking into it when we found out about the breach, but as far as a formal internal investigation, that was last week. All right, and so you started investigating it when the newspaper article hit, or? Yes, we started inquiring to figure out kind of why, what, what happened, yes. Gotcha. And just last question on this, um, the document that was mistakenly released, unredacted, there were other, there was other information redacted in that document besides just this specific officer. Have individuals who may be affected by the breach but whose names have not appeared in a newspaper article been notified that their, you know, personal uh, confidential information may have been obtained? No, not, no, not at this time. All right. Um, and do we... Is there any plan to do that at some point, or is that not? In, is that generally not? Um... Well, we will see. One of the things we're looking at is really kind of what the reach of this is, um, and what possibly is at stake in terms of uh, any other information that might might be contingent to this. And one one of the things I know the you know example has been given about. A credit breach. I mean, I think this is a somewhat different that there aren't those type of issues at play, but we do want to know what the reach of this is. So people, and then we'll make a decision. Okay, great. Thanks. That's everything for me. Uh, Commissioner Walker. Thank you for the update. Um, there was also a, I think a, um, an action, um, around street vending and actual citations around that. Um, is that our department or is that the mission um, at DPW folks? I, I'm not clear who, who takes care of that, but if you could report on that. Yeah, uh, yes, and I can answer at least okay. a, a question. The enforcement 
component of street vending is the responsibility of public works. It's uh -huh. administrative public works uh, can enforce on that. We do support those efforts because um, there have been several occasions, well, a number of occasions where the public works workers have been assaulted by some of the vendors when they try to enforce. So they have asked us to support that effort. So as much as possible, we can prevent that from happening. And so we do and will do that and continue to do that. Thank you. That's, um, I've heard that too from folks. Um, it's really important. I've heard from a lot of the businesses in the mission who really appreciate um, whatever you can do to, um, we all can do as a city to, to help control that because it's, creating um, issues. Um, and to that point, um, just to follow up on some of the public comment we had about the sidewalk blocking violations and the, um, the policy and what we're doing around that issue um, to clear sidewalks, maybe if you're not prepared to do it now, I know we didn't ask before, it might be something that we um, get a presentation on also with the other departments that are partnering with us. I think it would be good to just get an update about that. Thank you. We can do that. Thank okay. you. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Commissioner Yi. Uh, thank you very much there, uh, Vice President Carter Oberson. Uh Chief, I just want to thank um, the Homicide Division for solving another, uh, I guess, um, I guess killing out there in the Richmond District where they apprehend the uh, suspect that uh, I guess uh, beat the shop owner. So I just want to acknowledge the department and the investigative team for doing their due diligence and outstanding work. Also, uh, regarding the shooting at the Chinese consulate, uh, I think it's probably the first that you have now that there's an officer involved shooting in a foreign uh, embassy. So is the procedure going to be the same? you have the uh, OIS, you know, investigation, or will the State Department come in and do their investigation before San Francisco uh, Police Department? Our, our procedure for this is the same, but we did and will continue to consult with the State Department as well as the uh, Consul General from China. Yeah. An embassy is technically foreign soil. So we had to make sure that we uh, had those conversations and got the cooperation of our consular office, which they did. They've been very gracious. And uh, the State Department was on board from the very beginning in terms of consultation. And they actually uh, had representatives that responded. But as far as the process, we have been uh, granted the, the, the authority to investigate like we normally investigate. Uh, just to follow up on their on the response team, how many officers were at the scene of the time of the shooting, do you know? Uh, th three. They didn't all get there at the same time at okay. three. Okay. Uh, let's see. My last question would be uh, in res uh, regards to the, uh, SOPD responding to homelessness and re I guess the people that are 5150 possibly uh, how many officers or how many, um, re I guess you would say, uh, response that our officers are responding to, meaning that um, in a day's time, you might have 
10 reports, is that 10 officers or 30 officers? It, it, it varies uh, depending on the day of the week. I mean, as far as the officers that are assigned to um, the Healthy Streets Operations Center, it is, I think we're down to six or eight officers. It may be down to six, but I believe it's eight and a sergeant and a lieutenant. And they respond uh, in conjunction with the homeless and supportive housing uh, or HSH, their hot team, particularly when an, uh, an encampment is going to be res uh, resolved or a resolution. So everybody has a role. And, and again, some of what we are there for is to stand by to make sure that everything is peaceful. Um, and we have our service providers there, our, our, our navigators, if you will, there. But that varies. Uh, some stations do have teams that are in place to address that issue, the homeless outreach officers. Not every station has those teams, but some stations do. But it just kind of depends on who, who's working and what the, what the issue of the day is. But the HSOC team is a dedicated group of officers. Uh, thank you very much, Chief. Commissioner Benedicto. Thank you, Chief. Uh, just one question, I had, and this is, I know this has been a, a, a late-breaking and developing story today, and so I, I think I'll also ask for it to be agendized, but I wonder if you had any reaction to, there was a, a story in the Chronicle today about um, SFMTA's uh, parking tickets and the fact that that's not currently coordinated with SFPD's information on stolen vehicles, and that, you know, it, it's possible there was greater coordination, that, that you could see that being a way to identify people um, people stolen vehicles when they're tickets. I just wanted to know first if you had any initial reactions to that that you want, that you want to share, if you had a chance to see that. Yeah, no, I have not seen the story, uh, but I am aware of that situation. So there are a couple of things. There was an executive order that was issued today by our mayor. I saw that. To um, directing that MTA and SFPD work together to resolve the information and the bureaucracies that prevent um, MTA from obtaining the information they need to obtain. So I, that was just today, so we will work through that and figure out a solution. Yeah, so sometime around noon I saw the story, and then when I checked later in the afternoon, I saw there was an executive order issued. So I, it's been a story with, with multiple developments today. I think um, I'll ask that we agendize um, f how that work is going, maybe for sometime later this year, early next year, because I, I think it seems like uh, a, a, a little bit of an easy win to, to get that coordination. It sounds like from the research that the reporters did in the article, some jurisdictions like San Diego have a, a, a system with more robust information sharing. So I think it'd be, it'd be great if we could uh, do that coordination and, and provide that resource to the public. So I'll, I'll, I, you know, recognizing that the executive order is about two hours old, uh, I won't expect any, anything now, but I think it's, it's worth uh, further uh, review by this commission. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Thank you. That's all. Great. Sergeant, could you take us to public comment? For any member of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item four, the chief's report, please approach the podium. Good evening again. I'm here again. My son. Um, again, his case isn't solved. I was just talking about how zero dollars have been paid out for nearly a decade for unsolved homicides. There has not been, this article came out in the papers and 
still waiting for someone to be hired to solve these unsolved cases. You have all the names of the perpetrators who murdered my son. You have Hannibal Thomas, Paris Moffitt, Andrew Badu, Jason Thompson, Thomas, Anthony Hunter, Marcus Carter, one of them is deceased. So you have all the perpetrators who were there that murdered my son. This is at the homicide on the fifth floor in your records where I saw the names and was allowed, to, not allowed, but I wrote them down. Here, this is what they left me with, a lifeless body of my son. No mother wants to go through this at all. I come here every Wednesday pleading for justice for my child. No mother wants to stand over a casket. Even though it sounds redundant for me, but it's not. To you guys, it might sound that way, but to me, it isn't. Not just standing for my son, but I stand for all unsolved homicides of all the young men that have mur been murdered in the Fillmore and the, in the Bayview District. So I know you hear me all the time. Some of you may be busy on your phones and doing what you're going to do over there on your phones, and you're tired of listening to me, but I'm talking to you. These cases need to be solved. It needs Again, for any member that has any information regarding the murder of Aubrey Abacasa, you can call the anonymous 24-7 tip line at 415-575-4444. My name is Yolanda Williams. I'm standing in front of you today as the vice president of the San Francisco branch of the NAACP. Dr. Brown could not be here, but he requested uh, chief and commissioners that I bring this to your attention. He believes that he has received some credible information that the black churches are about to be targeted for crimes to occur on Sundays when we're having our morning worship services. I am asking chief for you to set aside a time to meet with Dr. Brown and some of the executive members of the NAACP because we do believe that this is very plausible, and I think that it would be time for us to start thinking on Sundays to have officers from the district stations at least visit during the course of their tour of duty during the daytime. Each of these churches make themselves known that they're on duty so that the churches can feel that they're more protected. We don't need to be part of the statistics, and we are faithful people, we believe in and we support our police department, but at the same time, we really think at this point in time, we need to look at this and consider this serious and do what all we can to protect those who are trying to be uh, faithful, good stewards on Sunday mornings in the churches. So I ask that you will meet with us so that we can uh, give some concerns and thoughts about what we can do to protect our parishioners. Thank you. And that is the end of public comment. Line item five, DPA director's report, discussion. 
Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Executive Director Hawkins. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners, Chief Scott, members of the community. I will start with our statistics. At this time this year, we have opened 617 cases, which is a slight increase from this point last year where we had opened 514. We have closed 574 cases, which is also slightly more than 565 at this time last year. We currently have 296 pending cases. Of those pending cases, 22 are past the 270-day mark, but of those 22, 19 are told for various other legal reasons. We have seven cases pending with the commission and 85 pending with the chief. At this point um, this year, we have mediated 31 cases, and I'll talk a little bit more about mediation in a moment, and that's double the amount we had mediated at this point last year. I'm going to say we are doing all of this, which is more in every metric for this year compared to last year with less resources and less staff, so we are feeling the kind of budget implications as our uh, SFPD and I know a lot of other city departments. Turning towards mediation, on Tuesday, October 3rd, we hosted our first Community Connect event, which focused on our mediation department. Um, we had it in person at the Google Community Space. It was attended by members of the community, as well as DPA volunteer mediators and staff. We had about 25 attendees um, and had presentations covering a day in the life of our investigators, a DPA 101, and a panel of our mediators spoke about their experience with our program and with mediation in general. And our director of mediation, Ali Schulteis, also presented and gave context about our program. We are looking forward to having another community event later this year, um, trying to get some in-person momentum and um, increased outreach now that we have a new outreach director on board. We have some photos on our social media pages, so um, we're also using community feedback to plan our future events. The only other update I have at this point is that DPO, DPO, this is where when I write my own notes, things look bad. DPA, the agency I work for, and FTFO with SFPD have coordinated to provide all DPA investigators and attorneys with training using the firearms training system simulator. Uh, this training involves using a video simulation of a scenario that makes the person doing the training either choose levels of force or not use force. Um, as if they were an officer responding to calls for service. We always appreciate FTFO and the training division, including DPA, on trainings that officers receive. It's a really important part of not only our investigations, but also policy recommendations and training recommendations that we make. So we enjoy that opportunity, and we'll have all of our staff trained up on that over the next few months. And the other member of the DPA team who's here tonight is Policy Director Janelle Kaywood. Um, you can always find us on the website or call us at 415-241-7711 with any issues that you might have for us to address. Thank you. All right, seeing no names in the queue, Sergeant, could you take us to public comment? For any members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item five, the DPA director's report, please approach the podium. Uh, training for foot pursuit too, because you need to train the guys if you need to run. I was a, tr a track runner when I was young, yeah? 800 meters, I was very good. 
So because uh, if you have to run, you have to run. So you want to make sure to be in good health too, right? So. And that is the end of public comment. Line item six, commission reports, discussion and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, and commission announcements and scheduling of items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Uh, earlier this afternoon, Commissioner Benedicto and I um, attended a closed-door town hall meeting with um, about 25 officers to solicit feedback on the department's vehicle chase policy. Um, uh, I guess a, a few months ago, some commissioners, I think Commissioner Benedicto being one of them, called for the commission to take a, a hard look at the policy in light of some um, pursuits that resulted in uh, injury and death to innocent bystanders. Um, the town hall was incredibly productive. Um, we got a lot of really great feedback and a lot of really great ideas, frankly, um, both in terms of amendments to the policy, uh, technological changes or improvements, um, tactics that could be used to forestall the need for a chase in the first instance. So just want to thank all of the officers who came out and um, devoted a couple hours of their time um, to that process. To be clear, the commission, I don't believe, has um, officially decided to um, amend the policy, um, but this was just a, a first step to solicit feedback. Um, and like I said, it was really helpful. Um, the other, the other thing I'll just address is, um, as I mentioned in, uh, in my questions to the chief in his report, uh, last week, the president of the police officers association appeared before the commission, um, to follow up on a letter that she wrote the commission, um, that essentially accused me of, um, improperly leaking, um, confidential information to the press. And I, all I would say about that is just wanted to update the public that um, I did provide a response. I wrote a public letter, um, and uh, President Elias also wrote a public letter, um, and the POA also responded with another letter. All those letters are on the commission's website under the 30-day correspondence, and I would just invite members of the public who are interested to read them. Uh, I think they speak for themselves, um, and I'll just leave it at that. Commissioner Yee. Thank you very much, sir, Vice President Ricardo Obiston. Uh, I guess uh, I'll start off with uh, last Friday. Uh, in, a, in the uh, Asian community, we had a celebration for, I guess, a promotion of uh, the Asian uh, command staff. Uh, chief was there. I guess the community uh, was uh, in celebration mode for the new promotions and got, uh, got to meet the New Central Station uh, Captain, uh, his name is uh, Jahan Kim. So he was welcome with open arms in, in our communities. And also we want to thank the chief for the promotion. Also I was on the, attend the, the Italian Heritage uh, Festival Parade. Um, it was a long march. Uh, but I got my walks in. Um, <clears throat> great to see the community out. 
uh, in a festival uh, mode there. And um, I would say the Fleet Week was a, it was a very uh, safe, um, successful event. I want to thank the uh, San Francisco uh, Police uh, Department, including the chief. Uh, it was, uh, looked like a beautiful day out there in San Francisco. So that is my report. Thank you. Commissioner Walker. Thank you. Um, I um, spent, I, the, the, this week has been somewhat slow for me, but I did do a follow-up meeting with some of the folks who have been discussing the uh, patrol specials um, ongoing discussion about the, the program and um, getting a better idea of how to address some of the issues that, of concern that have come up over the past around it. And um, there's a good group who have a lot of experience with the program going forward to really tighten up some recommended uh, changes to the program for a new, sort of a new tool for the chief and the department to use. Uh, one of the, the steps that um, we would like to initiate is getting the attorneys together to, to tell us how to um, legislate the changes or to um, to do the to take the legal steps necessary to partner with an outside um, maybe um, group like the the business improvement districts um, especially for the pilot program to see you know to get some kinks out and make recommendations back get data to us so um, that'll be one of the next steps that I hope to do with our attorney and the attorney for the uh, Community Benefit District Alliance just to recommend how we talk about those changes. Um, and I want to thank the chief, too. Um, it's been really um, a, a, an enlightening um, discussion to happen, and I actually think that um, we need a lot of tools right now to, to help our city in a, in a shortfall to do the things we all want the department to do and keep the streets safe. So um, I think moving towards that is really important. Um, on the issue of um, the investigation into um, leaked information and, and the conversation, um, one of the things that came up for me is uh, I've never been on a commission where individual commissioners can communicate on letterhead. So it was one of the issues that um, concerned me um, because we hadn't voted on the communication and apparently the history of it is that individual commissioners can use our letterhead for city for police commission business um, and make it clear that it's not necessarily from the entire commission um, but from the individual um, I just want to say that um, there's a lot of tension around the police commission at this point in the public eye, and I want us to be really mindful of how we represent. This is a judicious body. Uh, we don't prosecute, we don't defend, we actually are asked to look at it. And especially as the press calls us for comments, if these are confidential things that happen, um, it's best to find out ahead of time what's going on before we comment, because it challenges us in the job that we're doing to remain fair and um, I'd like to have us talk about that on the on an agenda 
um, both sort of the rules and regulations about speaking for the commission, um, as well as sort of how we need to deal with press when they're asking about individual cases. Commissioner Benedicto. Thank you, um, Acting President Carter Oberstone. Um, as uh, you said, we attended uh, a closed door listening session with officers today about our pursuit policy. It was something that uh, the Vice President and I have been asking about for a while, and it was, uh, as uh, the Vice President said, really in incredibly valuable to hear uh, the, the candor and the input um, from officers. And um, I know it's something that I, I've talked to the Vice President about, I've talked to Commissioner Walker about it, that I think we're all wiser each time we speak to line officers who are the end users of our policies, who are the ones who are subject to our jurisdiction for discipline. And uh, it was, it was I, I think, immensely valuable, so I'm very glad uh, for that. <clears throat> um, additionally, uh, following up on something that uh, Commissioner Walker announced last week, we have the, the flyer for the SFPD Pink Brunch which our commission staff will post on the website if it's not up uh, already. This is um, a fundraiser hosted by SFPD in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, we don't get those cool pink patches like the officers, but I did wear a pink tie uh, in honor of, of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, and so thank you to Commissioner Walker for sharing that. I also did want to thank Commissioner Walker for her leadership on the patrol special issue. It's a fraught and long <laughs> conversation. There's a lot of complexities involved. There's a, a long uh, controls report, and there's a, a lot of hoops to jump through. And uh, thank you for your leadership uh, moving that uh, forward on its long road. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Yanez. Thank you, Vice President Carter Overstone, uh, Chief and uh, public at large. I want to uh, make sure to wish everyone a happy belated Indigenous Peoples Day. There was a celebration this Monday, and I know that, you know, we are on Ohlone land. It is good to acknowledge the fact that um, we recognize the contributions that our Indigenous communities have always uh, made to our, to our city. Um, I did receive an update from uh, the chief regarding a request previously for from the Hill Bomb um, investigation follow-up uh, regarding the actual expenditures on overtime, and I just wanted to make sure that everyone had that information. It's my understanding that during the Hill Bomb event, there were actually 1,293 hours of overtime reported at a cost of an average of. $17 per hour, which uh, resulted in $151,281 of overtime accrued for that activity. And uh, I had requested additional information, Chief. I'm not sure if that is available as far as the regular staffing hours accrued during that operation. Not sure whether that's a part of the investigation into an analysis of um, how the uh, event kind of, you know, escalated and culminated in, in the incident that we all uh, are aware of. Um, and, and if you don't have the numbers, would you happen to have a timeline for when we can expect to see an update on either the cost of the operation or the analysis of some of those challenges that were experienced? Um, and. I'm not sure if you want to respond to that. I'm not there, obviously, so I can't see physically uh, whether there is a response. Uh, but maybe you 
you, if you have some comments on that, can uh, respond after I complete my report. I will promise to make it brief. Uh, in addition to that, I have, there was a speaker during public comment last week that brought up uh, an issue around the policing around just skateboarders in general. And I've had various community members actually reach out to me um, and, and raise this issue. So I would like to, uh, when there is the report back about the hill bomb at Dolores Park incident, to also have a, a, a report uh, about what our strategy is uh, with regard to in law enforcement and skateboarding that is not taking place at parks. I know that that can be a contentious or has been a contentious um, uh, situation for those people that you know use skateboards as their primary mode of transportation. And so I really uh, feel that it merits some of our attention. And I'd like to agendize that for the day that we have the update on the hill bomb. Um, there, I, I also, I forwarded the DGO draft for the juvenile uh, 7.01 to Commissioner Benedicto, who actually is the lead on that DGO. And since there has been a prolonged process, there apparently are some uh, unresolved questions that I believe the commission would um, be, be very, uh, that we would need to, to chime in on in order to resolve and overcome uh, or remove or work through whatever obstacles are perceived in order for us to get that DGO uh, presented to us for authorization and uh, to be able to also inform how that uh, DGO will capture our efforts as we work towards establishing a pre-booking program. They do not go hand in hand but given that DGO 701 actually oversees all interactions and interface with juveniles and minors, I think that it behooves us to have that conversation uh, along the same time so that we could resolve any obstacles that we uh, may encounter in the future as we are preparing to launch our pre-booking efforts. Um, I'd also uh, ask that we agendize uh, the, the language access DGO uh, as a result of some uh, conversations that I've had with various members of our community with regards to uh, obtaining language access and the interface uh, between our department and immigrant communities, especially considering a lot of the rhetoric going on around the nation. Uh, that impacts our immigrant communities here in San Francisco. So I would like to agendize that. Um, and my last uh, comment update um, is with regards to, uh, you know, the, the data leak and some of the ensuing uh, conversations and letters that we've received from various um, constituents and stakeholders and uh, one particular statement that was uh, very, very of concern to me, and I know that many other, uh, some of our other commissioners have a similar uh, sentiment. Uh, the POA uh, letter to our commission uh, stated, and I'm quoting here, how the commission handles this issue will directly affect the little trust our, ha our members have in the commission. And the POA president made that statement um, also, I believe, in person when she had her public comment on Monday. 
Um, and obviously, our, our commissioners are, are, you know, we are all, and I'm going to speak for myself, um, we, we need to get to the root of where that data leak came from, and I'm uh, glad that there is an investigation taking place. We take our jobs seriously, and we, whether are speaking independent of the commission or uh, responding to questions as commissioners, I think we all have the right to express our personal uh, opinions on subjects, obviously respecting every form of confidentiality that is permitted. Um, but I also know that uh, the, the POA, which is not a union, it's an association, um, has made it really challenging for us to do our work, especially when they, uh, at least the president, has taken such a combative uh, and oppositional approach to working with us. You know, some of the comments that were made last week and some of the back and forth could have happened in a formal setting uh, upon request uh, for a meeting, but uh, that approach was not taken. I want to read a letter that was sent to us by a coalition to end bias stops, which has uh, repeatedly, continually, weekly, uh, for the last few months, been sending letters, emails, and attending our meetings to be able to request that we have uh, an update and that we advance uh, DGO 907. And I'm going to quote from this coalition letter, which says, the Bar Association of San Francisco warned, it, warned in its January letter to the commission regarding the POA's history of obstruction during the meet and confer process. The POA is exploiting negotiations to delay implementation of DGO 907. This is no mere conjecture. In an October 1st, 2023 post to the POA website, Union President Tracy McGrady made the POA's posture on negotiating DGO 907 shockingly clear. It's going to be a downright fight with us as we will not roll over on any policy that jeopardizes our ability to get dangerous criminals off our streets, especially considering the level of gun violence we've experienced over the last three years. The letter goes on to say the POA's actions should be seen for what they are, a blatant attempt to thwart the will of the commission and leverage the meet and confer process as a quote-unquote shadow commission under threat of litigation. The POA will pursue litigation to get what it wants, even if you decide to let them drag out the process and delay implementation by several years. It continues to behave as a bully, as evidenced by POA President McCray's attempts to belittle and intimidate sitting commissioners. I read that letter because I believe that this coalition and stakeholders throughout the city have encouraged, compelled, and pleaded with us to uh, implement DGO 907, uh, but we have been constrained in that process. And I would, I would echo the sentiment um, that the letter is conveying. Um, the letter explicitly requests that we declare an impasse. Um, I am encouraging uh, the community and this commission to, to work to resolve whatever conflicts um, or whatever perceived differences of opinion uh, are, are 
come across our paths in a professional manner and if and whenever possible in a confidential space. This commission hearing is uh, a space to be able to come and raise issues, but I think confronting commissioners in the manner that the POA president uh, did uh, with baseless accusations and baseless allegations um, have been discredited in writing by the standard article um, is not the most productive use of our time. Thank you. Sergeant, could you please take us to public comment? For any member of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item six, commission reports, please approach the podium. Um, first of all, now I'm standing in front of you as Yolanda Williams, president of the Officers for Justice. The Officers for Justice fought for change in this department. We worked tirelessly with the DOJ to ensure disparity in treatment of officers was addressed, bias traffic stops, reform, and transparency. It is imperative that we address the issues of the fraudulent data entries that were made by officers or an officer, as it is simply unacceptable. Additionally, it's equally unacceptable for any officer, whether they are president of an association or representing themselves, to come into the police commission and challenge a commissioner, undermining the authority and the integrity of this system. This information accuracy is crucial and the POA president, as I see it, bullied and challenged the city official. It's unacceptable, and I see it as a violation of DGO 2.01, and I think she should be brought up on charges for it. In addition, we need to be addressing the issue. It's crucial that we implement these reforms and prioritize transparency. I see it as whether it was a leak or not, it happened, and we need to address that problem. Why did a sergeant, a lieutenant, or some other supervisor find it troubling that the information came out consistently with just one specific race by particular officers? This is fictitious information, and it's equally important that the public know about it. Transparency is, assist, is essential in maintaining accountability and public trust, and this information must be reliable. Furthermore, there needs to be better oversight so that fraudulent uh, data is not put into our systems. Overall, it's vital that we put prioritize our data entries and strengthen the oversight to prevent fraud of this kind and to maintain the integrity of the police department. Thank you. Yes, uh, <clears throat> I want to bring up about the digital homicide posters that's supposed to be in that field pod. Um, the chief. Scott, we all worked on the digital homicide posters. I just recently been going to the, the 10 police stations that you put the digital homicide posters and the televisions aren't on. So how are the cases gonna be solved? If, why would you spend all this money to put these televisions at all these two, 10 district stations? And then I walk in and there as a mother with her son's picture up there, and the television, the thing is not on. So, and all they can tell me is their, their technician and all of this, so I've been walking, especially Richmond District Station, where Kaiser, where I go pick up my medication, and that television is on, and I've been in that station like several times asking about it. So, what do we do? Why spend all that money 
to put these things at all of the stations and they're not on. There's a few that's on, but I look stupid asking them, where's, your dis where's the captain here? I'm asking that. And no one's responding. So I said I'm gonna bring it to the police commission and bring it up here, that these digital uh, screens be put on, cut back on, or have your technician go in there and fix them. Again, why would we have them and no one's doing any, why, no, why would we have these, tele, these things and implemented the digital homicide uh, televisions and they're not on at mostly, probably none of the stations. But I know it's on in the Fillmore because I'm always there. But I go other places and they're not on. Please get them back on. Call those district stations and get them back on. Thank you. is the end of public comment. Line item seven, discussion and possible action to approve revised department general order 5.25 foot pursuits for the department to use in meeting and conferring with the affected bargaining units as required by law. Discussion and possible action. Good evening, I'm Captain Sean Perdomo from the San Francisco Police Academy and I brought with me Lieutenant Meehan and Sergeant Bugarin from my force I'm sorry, Field Tactics and Force Options Unit here to talk about 5.25 foot pursuits. Lieutenant Meehan, would you like to say a few words? Yeah, thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, uh, Chief Scott asked members of our unit, the Field Tactics Force Options Unit, to assist in the development of a foot pursuit policy for our department. Uh, we worked in conjunction with members of the DPA and with Chief Scott uh, to develop this proposed policy, and we approached it from the aspect of providing guidelines uh, uh, and um, direction to consider, well, officers to consider when engaged in a foot pursuit, as opposed to uh, having a number of restrictions in a policy that would prevent officers from continuing to do good police work and apprehending suspects. Uh, the policy, uh, our officers have been, are, are trained to the standards that are in this policy, uh, as it is in, it is in uh, line with the California Police Officer Standards and Training Guidelines when it comes to foot pursuit uh, procedures and principles. And much of the language that is in the policy is taken directly from Learning Domain 21, which is, uh, which is uh, 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 patrol tactics and methodologies that the officers are taught in the academy. Um, With that in mind, uh, I'll take you through the policy itself. So the policy is mainly geared as an officer safety policy, and it takes into consideration uh, something that I wish I would have had when I was a younger officer myself. So if we skip to page three, I think these are the things that, the wish list that I would have had from maybe a field training officer, maybe a more experienced officer, and those are the responsibilities of the officer initiating the foot pursuit. So something that you learn as you become a more senior officer is weighing the costs and benefits of chasing after somebody. And these things are all delineated here in page three, and it continues on to page four. And the primary purpose of the policy is just to provide guidance to the officer engaging in a foot pursuit that balances public safety as well as the safety of the officer. Does the commission have any uh, particular questions regarding the policy itself? Sure. 
Okay, and we have Sergeant Pierre in here from the FTFO office who would like to say a few words. Sure, just uh, layering on to what the Captain Perdomo Lieutenant Meehan had said, uh, the very purposeful uh, uh, objective of this course is officer safety. And with all the changes we have been uh, conducting with the San Francisco Police Department the past five years, this is the next layer to that. It's continuing to build on the principles that we're doing, and it's hopefully going to continue the great work that the police officers in the field are already doing. Thank you. If I could just give you some background on this DGO from DPA's perspective. And Chief Hawkins, you were around at the beginning of this, so if I misstate something, please feel free to jump in. But in 2018 and 2019, uh, we had disciplinary cases that raised concerns about foot pursuits. The police department was concerned and DPA was concerned as well. And we have monthly meetings with the training division and the uh, field tactics force options unit to make sure that they address any kind of disciplinary trends that uh, DPA is seeing in our complaints. And at that time, we talked about developing a foot pursuit policy. The officer in charge and DPA agreed that uh, instead of developing a policy right away, that the officers would have a period of time to train to the policy uh, so that when there was a policy enacted, they'd already, it wouldn't be a surprise, they were already implementing the tactics that were described. So for several years, the FTFO unit has done an incredible job. They made a training video on foot pursuits. Um, and so mid-2022, I approached then uh, Lieutenant Nevin to ask about the timing of a foot pursuit policy. And he told me, uh, you're a little bit too late. Chief Scott's already commissioned uh, this unit to write a policy. I think in February of 2022, Chief Scott had asked for a draft. They provided that to DPA and we provided some recommendations on that draft, um, and it was a really great collaboration. And the officers who wrote this draft, uh, Lieutenant Meehan, who's the officer in charge of FTFO unit now, he was in charge of the SWAT team for many years. Uh, Sergeant Bugarin just won a post award as the, the outstanding instructor in the entire state. So these are the best and the brightest of SFPD who are writing this policy. Um, foot pursuit policies are best practices. The main goal is to protect officer safety. The threat is real, uh, not speculative. If you turn to the California Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Trainings, uh, Learning Domain 21, the introduction states foot pursuits are one of the most dangerous and unpredictable situations for officers. All foot pursuits must be considered high risk. They then go down to delineate um, a number of problems that foot pursuits cause for officers and how to address them. This is what uh, the SFPD PD team put into uh, the policy. Um, we also look to the International Association of Chief of Police. They had uh, guidelines for departments developing foot pursuit policies that they last updated in 2019. So we all reviewed that and made sure that the issues were addressed in this policy. Um, we've had extensive meetings on this topic with the FDFO unit. We learned that when officers are given a list of what they cannot do, they tend to freeze in these rapidly evolving encounters. So we agreed that it would be best for officers just to give them guidance on what they can do and should do and give them tactical instructions on how to conclude foot pursuits as safely as possible for everyone involved. Uh, so this foot pursuit policy, I think, is the most permissive one in the country. Um, it gives officers ultimate discretion. It doesn't ban foot pursuit policies under any circumstance. The only criteria is that they 
they be reasonable, which um, officers are required to act reasonably when they use force in every aspect of policing. So this is no different. Um, foot pursuit policies also protect the communities. Officers who are involved in chases get tired. They develop tunnel vision. If they have to discharge a firearm, it, it grows inaccurate. Um, they can be highly charged emotionally as well. So it's important to have, uh, there's a lot of research that our interns presented back in September of 2022 that foot pursuits, foot pursuits uh, that are unbridled and not guided by good tactics lead to an increased use of force and to um, officer-involved shootings. So we address those issues in this policy to make sure that whenever feasible, officers who are pursuing on foot are not the same officers that are involved in the arrest, arrest team. So we took that research uh, into consideration to develop a smart policy. Uh, there's nothing controversial or anti-policing about adopting a foot pursuit policy. Around 2013, foot pursuit policies began emerging as best practices around the country. Even the chief of police, uh, even the chiefs of police uh, suggested. I wanted to provide to this commission DPA's binder of best, best practices research. It has um, 37 foot pursuits policies from around the country. It will show that ours is the best, uh, but it's also the most permissive for officers. A lot of these policies prohibit foot pursuits for misdemeanors or infractions. We do none of that. Um, we really focus on tactics. So there's 37 policies in here in 350 pages. This is not um, complete by any stretch. It was just the ones I could download in a day in 2022. And I will note that Dallas Police Department has had a foot pursuit policy since 2012. So we're 10 years behind Dallas. Um, Austin PD, Baltimore PD, Chicago, Dallas, Detroit, Fresno, Houston, Las Vegas, Los Angeles sheriffs, uh, so foot pursuit policies are uh, definitely sweeping the nation. We need to adopt one too. Uh, our officers deserve it. And in developing this process, we also looked at um, real data from SFPD to see that officers were going out on injuries uh, from foot pursuits, and we don't want that to happen. So uh, DPA, we'd also like to thank these guys. They've been incredible. Uh, they've, we've spent hours talking about this with them. They exemplified 21st century policing principles. They're collaborative. They field our phone calls all the time. And they are just wonderful people and wonderful police officers. And we're very proud of the work uh, that we've done together. But uh, this policy came from them, and they should be appreciated for it. So thank you. Great. Thank you, everyone, for that. I'm, I'm sorry, Captain, do you have anything else to add? No, no, thank you. Okay. Uh, no, thank you everyone for, for their respective presentations. Um, did want to, you know, recognize uh, Chief for taking the initiative and asking the department to, to draft this policy. Um, this was not commission initiated as Ms. K. Wood pointed out. Um, and I appreciate the Chief's proactiveness on this issue. Um, and I appreciate the, the hard work that, that this whole team up here uh, did together. I think we all heard that this is evidence-based, um, and we've had the benefit of observing how other jurisdictions' respective policies have have panned out, and um, been able to adopt the the best parts of those. I also just wanted to recognize the DPA interns from last was it last year um, who um, who also made a number of proposals for a foot pursuit policy. So. 
um, just just wanted to give a shout out to them wherever they are all across the country now and for uh, Tanetta Thompson for, for supervising that program. Um, and that is all for me, uh, Commissioner Benedicto. Thank you so much, um, Mr. Vice President. Uh, thank you for that presentation. Just a couple of uh, questions that I'll, I'll pass around. I mean, first, uh, I'll echo what the Vice President said and, and thank the Chief for commissioning and driving this policy um, and asking for that. Um, seeing the, the final product now, Chief, are you, are you comfortable and, and how, any reaction as to how the policy turned out? Yeah, my, uh, I know we worked hard on this policy. My, my only issue, and this is really for later, but I'm glad you asked the question, is it's, it's more of a 3.01 question. Really, I believe for tactical issues, I would much rather see another format to get these policies done rather than a DGO, uh, and for, there are several reasons for that. Uh, sometimes tactics need to be changed pretty quickly. And the other thing is, you know, tactics are really about guidelines. They're not, they're prescriptive, but in, in the policing world, there are so many variables that can happen. Tactics are really about guidelines. So I do think there's probably a more efficient venue to do these types of policies. Um, we don't hold, have a whole lot of tactical policies in our DGO, and I, I don't think it's a best practice to have tactical policies in DGOs. I think there are other ways to do it, and many departments do it another way, like training notices, training bulletins, tactical bulletins. I mean, there are a variety of ways to get it, get to it, but really that's really why we put FTFO on the map to give that type of guidance, and I really would like to see more of, as we work through 3.01, a venue to actually have a carve-out for tactics that aren't DGOs. Got it. That makes sense. And I know there's been a lot of discussion in this commission on ways in which 3.01, our policymaking DGO, can be streamlined. But as to the substance of this DGO that you led, you're, you're happy with the work? Yeah, I mean, this is, what, this is what we have to work with right now. But this is something that I voiced in the past, and I just want to say that for the record. Okay, great. Um, one thing that I really appreciated hearing from uh, Director Kaywood is that what we have here is already consistent with what we have from uh, post-training. So, uh, Sergeant Bergeron, can you confirm that, like, that this is really consistent with what we already have for, for the post-training? Yes, com yes, Commissioner. This is uh, consistent with the LD. Again, same principle base that we're continuing to build on. Perfect. That was a trap. I also just wanted to recognize your statewide recognition from post. So you're, you're hearing that from an award-winning uh, post instructor uh, as well. Yes, we'll, we will have to recognize that at the commission level. Um, I, I know that uh, some commissioners, and I know Commissioner Yee sometimes raised the concern about the burden of training to these DGOs, and so I was really relieved to hear that the principles of this DGO have already been in our training for years, so this won't be, this won't, uh, shouldn't be disruptive. So that was, that was good to hear as well. Um, and then confirming what uh, you said, Director Kay, whether this is consistent or even you, you think the best policy when looking at other, other jurisdictions in DPA's opinion? I do, and I invite the commission to peruse this binder full of foot pursuit policies um, that do contain tactics. Sometimes the dividing line between tactics and policy is a blurry one. Um, but I invite the commissioner, I'll leave it right here. Can that possibly be electronically provided to the commission? Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, of course. So you can peruse it and. Take a look and see what you think yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Different preferences. <Do> <laughs> I'll leave this for you, Commissioner Walker, and then we'll. Um, 
that was uh, a relief to hear as as well to see that you know there, there are times as uh, in 5.01 where San Francisco has been the first jurisdiction that has ended up moving and there are times like this where we're not but we, we have the luxury of seeing what other jurisdictions and what the standards are and I think that that has really led to this being a strong policy as well. Um, I appreciate um, the clarification of, of the broader background and I think a lot of what this policy does allowing for officer discretion. It's short. It's probably one of the shorter DGOs we've gotten before us in a while which is always always great um, and that it's that it's seeing things that are already enshrined in training. Um, I, I did want to note, I, I think it's, it's worth saying that you know, there has been a lot of misinformation about this uh, proposed general order and hearing from, um, from Captain Padromo, from Lieutenant Meehan, from Sergeant Bergeron, from the Chief and from Director Kaywood about how this had come about, about the collaborative process, I think really should put to rest any of that misinformation uh, that this is really a, a proactive policy consistent with training that we already have short, straightforward, allowing for officer discretion and should be, um, and we're excited to have that before the commission. If I could be heard one more time, uh, I understand there's a lot of disinformation about this policy out there um, and there were a number of letters submitted to the commission. I would really just encourage the public to engage with the public comment process. 99% um, of the DGOs are largely written by SFPD with input from DPA and uh, if you input a public comment about what you like about the policy, what you don't like, if you want to see something changed, you'll get an individualized response from the SMEs on why they agree with you or don't agree with you that I'll review as well. Um, and that could dispel some of the disinformation. And we only got eight public comments and we all sat together and answered them. We think they were mostly police officers. But it would have been helpful if some of the people that are writing into the commission now had written in earlier and gained a better understanding of the process, what was happening and what was not happening. So we really encourage the public to pay attention to uh, the SFPD social media when DGOs are posted for public comment, engage, and you will get an individualized response. Uh, thank you, Director Kaywood. And I, I also want to echo what the Vice President said in commending the DPA interns. Um, I doubt that any of the, our, the 2020 to DPA interns are still watching now, but uh, if, uh, it would be great if DPA could like send them an email uh, with this update because it, it really is, uh, they should be talking about that for <laughs> when they help to shape policy for this department for, for, for years to and come. I included their presentation in the binder along with the citation wonderful. to all of the research supporting foot pursuit policies in case the commission's interested. That's wonderful. It was a tremendously well-researched presentation that, that they prepared as well. Uh, with that, I would uh, make a motion to uh, approve the general order 5.25 for use in meet and confer, subject to our labor negotiations resolution 23-30. Could I ask actually one clarifying question? Given that we've already been training to this DGO, will the department be requesting any delay? It's going to mean. Oh, it's mean going to mean confer. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, I jumped the gun. Okay, uh, Commissioner Byrne. <clears throat> uh, thank you. Uh Vice President Carter Overstone, um, I'm just I'm I'm just curious. I guess from a, a practical point of view, when we do discipline cases, um, they're a violation of a particular DGO, and um, and this particular one, other than the documentation and the supervisor's uh, requirements, how does an individual officer actually violate this? I'm just curious. Uh, so the one thing that I noticed reading this DGO is there's a lot of shoulds. 
which I think is great because our officers need guidance rather than strict policy and procedures that need to be strictly adhered to because as we all know, these incidents involve very rapidly and the officer needs to have a lot of discretion. So going through the DGO itself, you'll see that the word shall is used on page two and it's also used on page four. Right, I, I, I particularly noticed page four and page four made sense to me, but like on, under say uh, page two safety concerns, I mean, it's, it's the should and it's a list of things that the officer should consider and whether to initiate a, a foot chase. And at least from a practical point of view, at least I was trying to think, there isn't a way that an officer could violate that. Uh, if I, you know, it, 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 as you said, it's more of a guidance than a sort of requirement. Correct, yeah, so for the safety concerns, these are mainly things that would affect the officer and they're not necessarily things that would affect the public. So these are safety concerns that the officer should take into account when they're deciding to initiate a foot pursuit. Um, so for example, like I said at the very beginning of this whole thing, there's a lot of things that you don't realize until you've been a police officer for several years and maybe engaging in, in sorts of police conduct like foot pursuits, for example. And one of the things that we want to solidify in the policy that should be made clear to the officer are the dangers. And those are, for example, if you're acting by yourself and you get into a foot chase at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's something you should take into consideration. It's not very safe for you. You should balance that out. Also, the potential for violence, those are all things that need to be drawn out so that the officer can make a proper risk assessment when they decide to initiate the pursuit for their own safety concerns. So in terms of a policy and how that would be violated and, and result in a disciplinary case, um, I guess the, the harm would be to the officer themselves. These are more like warnings for the officer. So you, you agree with me, there, there's, other than the supervisor and the documentation requirement, there really isn't a way that an officer can be disciplined for uh, uh, on this DGO. Well, no, that's not necessarily true because on page two at the top, um, and it doesn't really need to be put into a policy, but it says the officer shall, shall act, act reasonably. reasonably but, Correct. But that's, that's all over the place in other DGOs. And, yeah. It could be, but it potentially could, could lead to discipline if it's violated, if an officer acts unreasonably. Yeah, and but it could be disciplined in, under other DGOs for failing to act reasonably. Well, yes, but it's not codified in such a way as it is here uh, where it's I explicit. I understand. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a lawyer. Thank you. It's okay. No worries. All right. Any other questions? Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Walker. Thank you. Um, thank you for this. Um, and I, I tend to agree that with the chief on this about general orders being separate from, you know, manual of how to achieve that or suggestions or training. And I don't know. I mean... I think it's just sort of generic and I don't know that there's any solution for this at this point. I wanna um, applaud everybody for working together on this. I think that ultimately our goal here is to, you know, have things that we can train our officers with but also look at when we have cases before us. So to the point that, that um, Commissioner Byrne was making, it's, It, it sort of underlines the importance of having a general order and then maybe a separate manual of tr that includes all the training and, and tactics because it's easier and more efficient and flexible. Um, I, I, obviously, that's more sort of pie in the sky kind of thing, but um, I appreciate the brevity of this one. Um, and I also, um, 
it's really clear that the folks who are weighing in on this just have a general response to all general orders that we're doing at this point. So don't let it hinder our, our efforts. But, um, you know, the public is weighing in and paying attention, at least, even if it's not to the details. So thank you. I do want to ask a question about um, the, especially the, the um, general orders that are already in that binder. Mm -hmm. The 37, is that what you said? Yes. Um, is there any data back on the um, how it affects the injuries and the success of these pursuits, or is it too early? I'm not sure. Day? Okay. I mean, I it would be I, good to have a follow-up on that. I think it's probably too soon because all of these DGOs are in recent years. Okay. I, I would just like to follow up on whether this the content should be in a DGO. We've been discussing this for two years, and I've never heard anyone say that this should be any, in anything but a DGO, and we've had multiple discussions with the command staff. So at least I haven't heard that. So we could have done it in a bulletin, but it would have been helpful to hear about that at an earlier point of time. No other, a, a few departments do it in bulletins, but most do it in general orders. So we did the best we could with the... Uh, I'm not, it's not a, it's kind of a, a generic criticism, because yeah. I think all our DGOs are pretty full of things that could be separated out. I, it's just my opinion. But okay, yeah. great, thanks. Thank you. Commissioner Yee. Thank you very much, sir. Vice President Carter Hovestan. Uh, uh, what is food pursuit policy? I, you know, I just come away with it. It's, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I talked to a few officers before, and they, they brought up these similar scenarios. You know, what happened you split up? You go to a, to a second floor. Both sides on each side, what happens? Suspects in the middle, which way do you shoot? There are some policies probably that need to be looked at. And, um, you know, there's probably incidents that did happen where this policy would have helped, too, um, in pursuit of, you know, your lone officer chasing one suspect, and then, you know, right behind the door, you don't know what's, what's going to happen. So I uh, thank the committee for, or the group, working group for bringing it forward. Thank you, Chief. Um, my, you know, uh, thought is um, regarding the communications on a live, maybe on a live radio where you, you know, clear channel and you, you start talking. Uh, you know, your body-worn cameras probably is activated right then and there when it's happening on the pursuit. I uh, was just wondering if um, you can do it live, sending it back to the command center so then if uh, you have uh, going back to the command center and probably having uh, maybe a supervisor, captain, you know, on there and saying, you're on a live pursuit, and you says, and, you, and then the command center can see the visual. And if we can't see the visual that way because it's bouncing up and down, wondering if that device can do what you call activate where it is uh, focus in, and then you have a, uh, a real-time feed that uh, can handle and say, stop the pursuit, officer, stop the pursuit, and wait for backup. You know, this, this some of these thoughts um, that's coming up for. So I'm just wondering what your response would be, uh, Captain. That would be excellent if Axon could develop a product like that. I'm pretty sure we'd buy it. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think they have such a product just yet. Uh, but what we can do and what's been suggested by Axon is that we review the body-worn camera footage after the incident. And then what the FTFO office has been doing really well is debriefing the incident. So after the incident happens, 
we can take all of the involved parties, we can then dissect what happened, and we can go through the list of factors that have been codified here for the officer safety uh, bullet points. And then to your point about the supervisor responsibility, which I think is what you're trying to get at, can we have somebody that's on scene making decisions as this is happening? The best that we can do right now is have the officer or the supervisor respond after the fact, and that's on page four of four. And these are things, like this policy, I like it a lot because it's very common sense stuff that should be occurring anyway, but it's now written down. And what happens here in subsection E is that, you know, if your officer's injured, you should show up to the scene. Now it's made explicit here. Um, if the suspect enters a residence building or a structure or even a defined terrain objective, and that's consistent with some of our other DGOs where we start um, expanding the time and distance and the de-escalation criteria, this speaks to that. So we have that in there. If there's a reportable use of force, that's already covered under 501. It's kind of duplicative that we have it here. But the, the, sergeant, or the sar sergeant is supposed to respond to that. And of course, if the person's armed with a weapon, it's already in our policy, is that you have an incident like that, the sergeant's going to respond. So um, I wish we had the technology, but we don't have it just yet. Uh, I think we do. It's called FaceTime on Apple. Oh, man. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's serious. Yeah. And uh, hold, hold on here. Mm -hmm. It's just that our department or the police department doesn't have it. What's to say that you, that we can't get it? And you know, ask ask the company to work on the technology. That sounds like an excellent idea. I mean, we do have um, you know we have smartphones, and that's definitely something we'll explore for the future. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get back to the office. Okay. Uh, thank you. All right, Chief of Staff Hawkins. <clears throat> Thank you. I wanted to respond to three points um, regarding discipline. So having been reviewing many of the cases and kind of at the beginning when we realized or when I realized there was a need for a foot pursuit policy, I actually think this is a really nice balance of being able to discipline but not overusing the word shall. So we in a lot of conversations we have about policy get criticized on the DPA side for too many shalls and not enough understanding of flexibility in implementation. And there were a couple of cases involving an officer-involved shooting where this sort of policy would have been very helpful um, in assessing the case and I think in potentially a different outcome. Also, Captain Perdomo is a lawyer, which I found out when I was a baby DA and he was being cross-examined in a prelim that we did together. So I'm sure he was also mindful of word choice as he was uh, being a proponent of this particular DGO. Um, so from a DPA perspective, I would be happy to have this policy when we were examining a case where a foot pursuit was at issue in determining whether or not it was within policy. And the reasonableness standard is one that we have worked with in other contexts. Um, in terms of DGO versus manual, it is an ongoing conversation that we're having. Uh, and and 3.01, I think, is a clunky process in some ways, but also is a very thoughtful process. And we are having discussions at multiple levels of that process. I think there are different policy vehicles that we can use. I think this was always conceptualized as a DGO um, for a couple of reasons. One, the other vehicles that we have, department notices, department bulletins, the hope is that eventually they are DGOs because that is kind of the I don't want to call it the highest because it's not necessarily hierarchical, but that is what the most um, definitive guidelines are. And what, when we're looking at discipline, of course we look at training and we look at all of those manuals as well, um, but the DGO is the policy itself. And so 
our position is that this should have been a DGO and was started in development as a DGO and happy to have those conversations further always, but that was how it was always conceptualized and where DP feels it is appropriately. Um, and I think that's all of my three points. Chief Scott. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just, not to belabor the points, I just want to clarify a few things because I was here from the beginning of this conversation, at least from the department standpoint, and I don't think that anybody was involved in this at that point. When we first started this process from the department standpoint, we actually envisioned a series of tactical bulletins, if you will, um, that would be its own carve out, not just A bulletins or B bulletins or C bulletins. And this was, I believe, in 2018. And the issue with that was that we didn't feel that the bulletin necessarily the way they were structured at the time would be the best venue. Some departments have tactical guidelines that are not DGOs, they're not in the departments, you know, whatever their manuals are, but they are tactical guidelines, a series of them. And they rescind them when they become outdated, they update them when tactics change. For instance, there are a number of tactics that we teach that aren't necessarily in a DGO building searches. Active attacker tactics, things like that, that we need to codify, but they don't necessarily belong in a DGO because they change, and sometimes they change based on an officer get killed or whatever. Um, that was the original idea. The, the issue was we didn't feel like the current structure, and even after 3.01 got rewritten, really had a place for us to park those types of documents. We still need to codify building searches and things like that. We have lesson plans, we have training modules, but I think we can do better because that is out there. There are departments that do that. So there was a conversation about this. By the time you all got on board, yeah, we agreed that the DGO is probably the best place to put this given what we had to work with. Um, with all that said, there was a lot of good work by everybody in this room and some of the people who are no longer in the FTL full unit, they've retired and DPA to come to a sensible policy. So I just want to clarify how this thing evolved because yes, it did start with, let's not put this in a DGO, let's start a series of tactical bulletins or notices or whatever. We didn't have notices at the time that would fit, but that's how the conversation started. By the time it got to your, your seat, it was DGO, so that's probably all you heard. But yeah, it, it went through it, concurrence with the approval of you and the command staff. I'm so not, in the last two years, we yeah, haven't no, heard anything I'm not, about Just it. hear me clearly. I'm not saying anything about that the policy is not good guidance. What I'm saying is the vision is I hope we have a venue to deal with tactical issues in another way. And I think this is one that belongs in that other way rather than a DGO because there are a lot of tactics that yeah. we rely upon that we need to codify and put it in a better format. It's, it's, it's that simple. You know, building searches, like I mentioned, some of the things that we do on a day in and day out, you won't find that in a DGO. You'll find it in probably a PowerPoint or training module somewhere, but you won't find it in a DGO. And I don't think that should be in a DGO, honestly. So it's not just this. It's a bigger issue than this is all I'm saying. But the guidance, I agree, is very good. And yes, I did agree to it because it's, it's, a, it's good guidance, as the captain mentioned. All right, seeing no other names in the queue, I will second the motion made by Commissioner Benedicto. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item seven, please approach the podium. 
There is no public comment on the motion. Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yi? Yes. Commissioner Yi is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. Line item eight, public comment on all matters pertaining to item 10 below closed session, including public comment on item nine, vote whether to hold item 10 in closed session. If you'd like to make public comment regarding closed session, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Line item nine, vote on whether to hold item 10 in closed session, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10, action. I move to go, uh, go into closed session. Second. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. We will go into closed session. San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. Item 11, vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussion on item 10 held in closed session. San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.12A, action. Uh, motion to uh, not disclose closed session with the exception of 
uh, factual updates from our labor negotiator, which will be disclosed in the minutes. Second. For any member of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 11, please approach the podium. Seeing none, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote on the motion? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. Line item 12, adjournment.